to overcome with Soph, a branch of Unoya Wellness, a pure and well-balanced mind, a good spirit, beautiful thinking. on there um so it didn't fuck up our entire episode because I have done that before mm-hmm. all right share your story with Sophie Smith Sophie Sievertson <laughs> <laughs> forever in my heart the reason I feel like I'm so stuck on Sievertson is because it took me so long to remember how to spell it Smith is so boring yeah thanks Logan it's really it's real boring and but I appreciate it when I make like hotel reservations yeah. they're not like what's your name but I, I did like I still have to like spell it out for myself for your last name like I just worked so hard on it so that's why I feel like I'm like no it's secrets yeah. into me but that's okay Okay, so share your story with Sophie Smith. Today, our topic will, I'm assuming, most likely be postpartum. Yeah, probably. Okay, but we'll talk about more to begin with. I just feel like I'm going to burp. You can burp. I know, but... You can be as raunchy as you want in my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) My my perfectionism brain will not allow me to burp on on screen. On on set. On set. so bad okay share your story so first and foremost let's introduce you to mm. all the fans all the fans there's probably like one person listening. and they're like go oh, it's probably your mom and she's like i'm here no she'll text me and she'll be like i'm not gonna be able to listen to this for a while because it'll make me cry <laughs> she didn't listen to my birth podcast for like eight months Deb. Debbie. Uh, okay, I am Sophie. Also, <laughs> I live in North Dakota and I have a almost 19 month old son and we have two dogs. And And what are their names? Um Soren, Ivy and Loki. It's so funny. I wasn't even gonna ask you Soren's I know. Name. I was like, "What's the dog's name?" Um, and I currently am a photographer. I've been doing full time wedding photography for this will be my seventh year. Um, and after this year, it's gonna be my last full time wedding photography year, and I'm gonna kind of transition into more just like lifestyle and birth stuffs because I'm also a doula and training lactation counselor at my other business called harvest doula which makes zero dollars right now (laughs) basically but it's more of like a outlet but you know sometimes I feel like with businesses that you're just passionate about like you eventually just make money yeah and honestly like kind of like this has really nothing to do with the podcast but like when I first started doing photography everybody asked me like are you gonna do weddings and I always said no, I don't want to do weddings because I don't want to make my hobby into a chore or a job. And then I ended up doing weddings full-time for almost seven, eight years now. So, and now, it, yeah, they suck. I don't like, well, I shouldn't say they suck. 
sorry couples if you're listening um i am getting out of them because of that very reason because they just sometimes when you make your passions or hobbies into a job they don't become your passions anymore so with my doula and my birth stuff i'm guarding that because i don't want to you know make it like that so that's a little bit about me (laughs) i can totally relate to that and i don't think anybody would take it personally as far as like the wedding stuff goes it's like a hard job that's why there's like everybody's so booked out nobody wants to it's exhausting it's hard it's very um I guess I could get into this later it's very mentally exhausting for me for doing weddings I was telling my friend I don't was it you I don't know if it was you (laughs) (laughs) um the other day that like weddings they became like such an anxiety trigger for me for like six days leading up to them I just get such anxiety and so that's kind of why I'm dialing back on those a bit. If anybody cares to know why, it's just I'm missing out on a lot of my own family's events and milestones. And then also I just don't think it's, you know, worth it to me anymore to feel that way and feel so much pressure and anxiety on myself to perform a certain way and to be a certain way. So that's why, you know, like we talked in your podcast, just, Sometimes you have to cut out what doesn't serve you anymore. So that's that's my life. <laughs> and I really feel like when something is not in alignment for you, like your body lets you know far, mm-hmm. far sooner than your brain. So I'm feeling like those triggers were like telling you like it's like I always say it's like not meant for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No matter how much you love it. I mean, obviously it's yeah. exhausting, but no matter how much you love it, it's like your body is physically now starting yeah. to reject it. And it's not like I've necessarily had a ton of bad experiences. Like, I feel like I've been very lucky to where I've only had a couple things happen in my career that I've been like, that fucking sucked and I never want to do that again. Like, for the most part, I've had very, very good clients, very, very gracious clients, very understanding people that I've gotten to work with, which I'm very blessed about and happy about. Um, But they're just, there's always room for change, so... That's, yes. That's where it comes and from. And you've always told me... That um, I didn't want to do it forever. Yes. I've always said that. Yes. Because, like, like, picture this, guys. You're 55 years old. <laughs> you did tell Nobody me Nobody wants to hire a 55-year-old wedding photographer. You never know. They might be, like, a cool hippie. They and... want the cool, hip, young wedding photographer. Right. And you know You're what? aging out. I'm aging out. <laughs> You're almost 30. <laughs> that's so funny. I do remember you saying that to me once, and I was like... I never thought about it like that. Yeah, it's not like a job you can do forever. Right. Well, I mean, maybe some people do, but I don't see it as a forever thing. Right. And it's, I love how, and we'll get into this, but because prior to having Soren, like, obviously I don't think really you had a ton of excitement about birth. Like, I know you wanted to be a mom and all this stuff, but it's so fun that you were able to, like, pivot your interests once you went and had experiences in something else. And so... I think that's just what happens a lot of times in a service industry, mm-hmm. I guess, is that you get burnt out with things because yeah. as we've talked before, it's very social, social battery type of a thing as well. Um, yeah. Okay. So share a bit. I'm just reading this. <laughs> so he doesn't have as nice of handwriting as I do. So Sorry. Um, what are your biggest goals? You right? don't want to have on my background? 
Wait, it was... Oh, wait, no, that... I added that one in. No, you're right. Biggest goals. I don't need to go through that. Wait, why? Do you want me to? Yeah. Okay, well, what was it again? <laughs> <laughs> um, in life... Actually, I don't want you to talk about it right now. We're going to talk right. about it at the end. Okay. Yeah, I just was blipping that in when you were You really put it in a poor I'm spot. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. Sophie and I have this book. It's, um, we've used it for our podcast way back when, and on the front of it, it says, I try to act nonchalant, but inside I'm actually schlant AF. And I think it's so funny because it's so like the ideas in here the are just, the book is so janky. It's now. so janky and the ideas in here are so unhinged, I think for the most part. And it's like crossing up things and doing this. Um, okay. So yes, let's talk about your past experience and your history. I want to talk about it prior to birth and like anything yes. you've experienced um, prior to having Soren, as far as it comes to like, you don't even, it doesn't even have to be mental health. It can be hardships, anything like that. But then I want you to tie it into your postpartum experience. Yeah. So I guess, and I've talked about it a little bit on social media about how I've always been more of an anxious person, but I mean, prior to having Soren, it wasn't I mean, maybe it should have been handled differently, but I didn't ever medicate or anything like that. I always just handled it by basically never stop moving. I, you yes. know, I worked out a lot. I had dogs. I, I have had secondhand. <laughs> I, I'm just like a mover. Yes. And it's like, I think it's a lot of, it was a lot of anxiety just working its way out. So there's like a lot of that. Um, I'm like a very forward thinker person. Like I'm always trying to think a step ahead, which is an anxiety trait where I'm always trying to control and make sure nothing is going to go wrong in like one step ahead, you know? So there's that. And just even throughout like my whole life, I've always been a control freak. And I remember my (laughs) mom telling me, that my brother had said to her one time that it looked like I just like had it all together. Like there was nothing, like I was, I, there was nothing wrong with me. Like I, there was nothing wrong. And my mom's like, have you met her? She has to control everything in her life. How old were you when he said that? This was like last year or the year before. (laughs) But that's what I'm saying. Like a facade, like we all can put on a facade and like, I've said this a thousand times. Instagram is such a lie. And like, not that he's creeping on your Instagram, but you know, right. you can be fake and it seems like you have it all together. That's why we preach be kind because like you don't know what people are going through. I wanted to take a step back just really quick because I think that a lot of people are similar to you in the fact that it's not like you have denial of anxiety, but it's also like to protect yourself from your anxiety, you stay busy. Yeah. And it's funny because like <laughs> um, before having Soren and like medication and all that kind of stuff, I remember recurrently going to the doctor and being like, I have chest pain. And my doctor being like, have you ever thought about it being anxiety? And I'm like, no, it's not anxiety. It's not anxiety. It's not anxiety. And I went multiple times for like years. And she was like, maybe you should consider that it's anxiety and you should go to therapy. And I was like, no, it's not anxiety. It's not anxiety. That's not what it is. I love that. And straight up denial. Yes. Like I was like, no, I'm fine. Like I'm, I'm. But did you truthfully, you truthfully like had. No. no, I was like, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. My chest just hurts. There's something wrong physically, not mentally. <laughs> uh, yeah, and maybe I should have taken the hint when I had blackout while driving on snow. So that was, you know, another. But I feel like when you, because has, has any of your family experienced 
mental health issues that were like very obvious. Yes, but for the protection of my family, I'm not probably okay. Going that's not to. how I want to work. Yes, um, I want to say more so like the anxiousness that you displayed. Um, like, do you feel like you saw that in others as well, or do you think not, yours just like displayed so differently that you thought it was maybe not anxiety? Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. No, I just feel like it's different. Yes. Yeah. So like, maybe you weren't as aware. Right, and like. This was years ago, too, so I feel like mental health stuff has came out a lot more, even in the last four years. Mm-hmm. Like, because when I was in high school, like, my, I remember one of my teachers at my graduation saying, like, Sophie would have a paper written before it was even assigned. <laughs> because, like, that's just the kind of person I was. Like, I always was controlling things and proactive about everything. But in high school, like, nobody talked about that kind of stuff. No. So, I mean, that's just a backstory of me leading up to, I guess, everything else. And then I feel like, okay, what year did you get pregnant? 2021. Okay, and COVID was 2020. Yeah. And you were very fresh pregnant 2021. Mm-hmm. So, talk about your anxiety during January COVID. January <laughs> Talk about your anxiety during COVID and then kind of with baby and then like as you the baby was growing. Yeah, so I feel like, and this is probably a trend with not just even me, but just a lot of people in general that COVID brought out a lot of mental illness in people, whether it be because they were isolated or they're losing their jobs or just they're scared of sickness. Like a lot of people I feel like fell into that hole that year and the world was just so fucked yeah and I just remember I mean we hung out a lot during COVID and um did my mental illness rub off on you (laughs) no it was just like all like I said I'm like a forward thinker so all I could think about was so I'm a wedding photographer and the event industry was hit very very hard that year and so all I could think about was okay I'm gonna have to reschedule all these weddings okay I'm gonna lose this amount of money. Okay, I'm going to have to move all these people to next year. Well, how am I supposed to make this money this year if I'm going to be making it next year? And then how am I supposed to make money next year if I'm getting it for this year? And like, that's just kind of, I think, where it maybe started that year. That year, I felt like I was in a constant state of flight or fight, like all year long, because it was like one week I was going to be working and the next week I wasn't. And then the next week I'd be working and the next week I wasn't. And it was just like, and then you have to deal with clientele yeah. who are also trying to figure out if they even want to have their wedding, yes, it even was, if it was allowed or not. It was just like a fight of trying to figure out when I could work and how it was going to work and like rescheduling and deposits. Like, do people get their money back? Like all those kind of things for like an entire year and honestly, basically two years. It was like a two year thing that just really elevated everything because up until then like things were like you know you book a year in advance I'd go to the wedding shoot the wedding edit the wedding done and then that year was like will the wedding happen this week it's gonna happen next week it's not gonna happen if it's in North Dakota it's gonna happen if it's in Minnesota it's not gonna happen like just a lot of me not being able to control things and that's yes feeling very out of control yeah and that's where I feel like it really started and then when I got pregnant I had a lot of miscarriage anxiety like the entire time I checked the miscarriage calculator calculator every single day until the day I gave birth I want to talk about that but 
Prior to talking about that, I just want to talk a little bit more about your work because I want to get more into your work after we talk about postpartum um, because that was a thing for you when you first got pregnant, the stress of work because you already had to reschedule so mm-hmm. much and it was already during the peak of COVID and then it's like mm-hmm. you were trying, like you shot basically up until... I shot until I was 36 weeks. And then you had to find some people to shoot for you. Yeah, so... I had like 35 weddings that year, which is, if you think about how many weeks in a year is there, 52. 52. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Even though you said it first, so, like, I know that. <laughs> most of the weekends in the year I was working and a lot of things that people don't really realize when it comes to photography is it's like, it's not like you just show up and take fun photos for a day and you're done. Like a lot of it is backhand work. So calling. calling, you can explain calling because I never calling, editing, that. all that kind of stuff. So it's not like you just have one day out of the week while you're working, you know? So think of it that way. You have 35, 36 weddings. That's almost every weekend in the year. Plus, and how many photos are you delivering? Like 1500 pictures right. out of 5,000. So it's like just a lot of computer work. It's not like you're getting everything done within a day after. So it's just, it was basically working nonstop for an entire year. While you were pregnant. While I was pregnant. And, and then trying to reschedule and figuring out what you would do. Yes. you don't get maternity leave. Yes. So I don't get maternity leave. And essentially the, the solution I came up with was hiring a couple friends that were photographers that I trusted to shoot these weddings for me. And I would pay them to shoot, but I would still edit because the alternative would be to losing like 30 grand. Right. <laughs> Which is just, it's a problem in itself. But because I could go on and we could make a whole different podcast about how I feel like the United States sucks about not having federally paid um, maternity leave. Absolutely. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, how I think it just kind of geared up into a lot of things all within a couple years because you know you went from the COVID year to getting pregnant to having a lot of miscarriage and it was not unexpected and not like yeah, no, it was unexpected but it was definitely unexpected it was unexpected me. sorry mom um love you Soren you're the best boy in the whole world Logan pull out <laughs> <laughs> Logan's pull out game is weak <laughs> um and then like just it's it's just kind of amazing like once you find out you're pregnant how much you love the cell inside of you yes so I had a lot actually we're so different because I never yeah. felt that way but I yeah. know that we experience motherhood so differently yes. yeah. and so when you talk about now I want you to transition into the miscarriage stuff yeah like and your anxiety with that um so I had a lot of anxiety about miscarrying and not because like I had any priors or any even like medical I love her um she's actually talking about crime um it's not that I've had any prior miscarriages or anything um very blessed but it's just it's talked about so much more now so I feel like it and I it's was so more much more aware. common than we think it is yeah it is and I remember being pregnant and people like telling me like oh, you need to make sure that you, like, drink enough water and you sit down while you're working or else you're going to go into preterm labor and then you're going to have your baby early and then it might die. Because everyone's fucking doctors and they right. know fucking everything. And so it was just, you know, there's so many opinions all yes. the yes. time and it really ate away at me. Like, 
my entire pregnancy. And I also hated being pregnant because I was very nauseous and ill the, most of the time. And um, you're doing a very physical job. Yes. and In the summer. That year was the hottest year ever. Yes. It was like 90 degrees every single wedding, like June through August. So I was due October, the first week of October, and I shot my last wedding September 18th. <laughs> Which is also my wedding anniversary. <laughs> so, and in between then, I re- think I remember posting something about how Soren, which I didn't know that it was Soren at the time, baby inside of me had been to like 28 weddings without even being earthside at the time because that's how many I had shot while pregnant at the time. Which is insane. So then Because people, another thing I feel like, okay, so I went to Florida with Sophie, she shot a wedding. Um, the camera bag is very heavy. <laughs> I'm like, people don't understand. Like, and why would you? Like, it's not like you're, we're expecting you to, but it's like, people don't understand like the physical, like even when we just recently took photos and I took photos of you, just mm-hmm. a few headshots and I was like, I can't do it anymore. Hurts. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a physical job. It is. And I remember being so scared that year of like going into preterm labor just cause it was so hot. So I'd have like a neck fan and I would make sure to drink like three mason jars of water before I left for every wedding, which then in turn, I was pissing the entire time I was there because I was pregnant. It was just not enjoyable. Like, I will be completely honest, like basically, let's say February through, um, what, November of that year But even was when you, awful. I was going to say, even like you, before we knew Sophie was pregnant, you were sick. Yeah. You basically, since you conceived, you were yeah. sick. Yes, but it didn't get like terrible. And it's you just, were just like, why am I so nauseous? Am no, it's funny blue? because I had gotten my hair done and my hairdresser was like, are you sure you're not pregnant? You have a lot of like baby hairs. <laughs> and I was like, no, there's no way I'm pregnant. It's fine. And like two weeks later, I texted her and I was like, so you remember when I told you I wasn't pregnant? I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> She was like, I knew it. That's so weird that they can do But yeah, we went on like a snowboarding trip the, what, first week I was pregnant, not knowing it. And I was just... Because your test was was negative. Yeah, I did take a test before because I was just, I wanted to make sure I didn't consume any substances while I was pregnant. (laughs) But so I was just popping Dramamine. It's like the (laughs) one time in a year I actually drank. And um, yeah, I was pregnant. Soren's fine though. Soren's fine. It yeah. happens to the best of us. Yeah. Truly. So, I mean. So that was like kind of concern. And I feel like it's very normal to be concerned about miscarriage, even though it doesn't make you feel better, but it is very normal. Yeah. Like I've heard lots of people, even my sister, like, I think she fucking checked the heartbeat the entire way through. I didn't even know you could yeah. do that at home. And it's just like, and I've only had one kid so I don't know what it's like to have another one but I feel like with a first time mom especially like your whole brain is so wired to like that child because you don't have another child to take care of at the time you know what I mean yes like I feel like if maybe I had another one now like I wouldn't be as concerned because I'd be keeping the one I have alive (laughs) on the earth but when you're a first time mom it's like pregnancy is like your whole brain is just 
revolving around it. Right. It's all you think about all the time. And something common I've heard a second time moms is like, you just don't have time to think about it because you're actually chasing a toddler. Yeah. So maybe I'll update you on that if if it happens again. (laughs) Okay. So then I want you to explain the whole process now because this is going to be We're going to talk about, I'm just going to set you up so you know, we're going to talk about the postpartum journey. And then I want you to talk about some work anxiety you have, because I know that's been like prevalent in your life as well. Um, And you don't have to like share, you know, a lot about it, but I just want you to talk about it because maybe somebody can relate to that as well, just like with change and stuff. But I want you to talk about like the depths of your postpartum, like when it happened, how it happened, like when you realized it and my first question I'm going to ask you is like, did you think it was going to happen to you? Like, were you no. prepared at all? Okay. No. And I'll just preface this by saying I might cry because I'm a crier. <laughs> Maybe I won't. Who knows? It's good to but cry. It's if, cathartic. If I do, whatever. That's what my therapist told me. <laughs> so, I, like, there's just so many things you can do and prepare for being postpartum. And if you know me now, you know just, like, how passionate I am about moms versus baby postpartum and a lot of it I think has to do with my own experience because you just you know leading up to having a baby you you know make your birth plan and you you know you read up on breastfeeding and you read up on like what swaddle do you need what crib do you need what about this do you need but not ever did it cross my mind like what do I need you know and so I had my child and with zero drugs, so she's already crazy. Well, I did have a little bit. Remember, I had, like, the local anesthetic. I didn't have an epidural. I don't want to say I'd had zero drugs, because I did try the gas as well. You know, just going to give myself a little bit of credit. No. I still think it's so fucked. <laughs> I was, like, dilated to three, and I was like, can I have the epidural, <laughs> Um. So I had my son, and I really, really wanted to breastfeed and I think a lot of it a lot of all of this kind of revolves around breastfeeding which is also another reason why I'm becoming a lactation counselor because my son ended up being stuck in my fucking pelvis for three hours of pushing and when he came out he had a huge bruise on the top of his head long story short he ended up with high bilirubin and jaundice so after he came out, our breastfeeding journey was immediately hindered, and it, I didn't know, like, I wasn't aware of any of these things happening, and I couldn't get him to eat, he wasn't eating, he was losing weight, he pretty much had lost, like, a pound, which is so much. When um, you're only, like, what was he, seven, seven pounds? Yeah, yeah, it's a really high percentage, and his jaundice was getting really bad, so, like, right off the bat, I feel like that set me up for control freak (laughs) because he, it was like I was failing right away. That's kind of what it felt like. Um, Like I wasn't feeding him enough. I wasn't producing enough. It was my fault why this happened. Like everything just seemed to be my fault. Um, And, you know, looking back now, and I remember my mom, bless her heart for saying this, but she was like, Sophie, it's fine. A lot of babies have jaundice. Like, it's very minimal. And, like, it, but in the time, it seems so big. Everything seems so big because, like, you have so many hormones just rushing through you that, like, no matter what happens, it seems 
so big. Yes. You know what I mean? And people experience it differently too. So since you are such a control freak in that sense and something that is completely out of your control is probably, probably already just as big in itself. Yes. So like me not having everything go exactly how I wanted it to, cause I, like, I wanted to have him, I wanted to breastfeed, I wanted to come home right away and just, you know, live the, the blissful postpartum experience of just breastfeeding my child isn't it so like we're so (laughs) I want everybody to know now that is non-existent yeah so like that's the picture I had in my head and it wasn't working and um so I think that's kind of where everything started because I in the hospital yeah well just like that I guess three days of him dropping so much weight and like Yes, it's not as big of a deal as some other things, but it felt really big and it felt like he could die from that, which, I mean, he could, but, like, he wasn't going to. I'm going to use this theory theory really (laughs) quick because I've said this on, again, I deleted all my episodes. I've said this on prior episodes, but I just wanted to clarify because I feel like we, sometimes when you say things, you start to be like, well, I know it could be worse. Yeah. But what I always like to use is a referral. That doesn't make sense. It's like a reference. That's what I'm trying to say. Is like some people's plates are like really big and they're really sturdy and they're made out of glass and they can handle a lot. And some people's are like plastic and they're not as big and they're more wobbly. And in that sense, it's like what might not seem like a big deal to somebody who can carry it is like a huge deal to somebody else. And so I feel like the comparison game, because I know people it's like cancellation culture all the time. But like when something seems like a big deal to you, like you should be validated. And that is a really big deal. Mm -hmm. You just had your first child and he's not breastfeeding and he's losing weight. And then you get mom guilt. Welcome to being a mother. (laughs) Of every, everything in life. If your kid doesn't breastfeed, you get guilty. If you do breastfeed and you don't give him bottle, it's guilt, whatever. I could go on, I could make a whole podcast about just issues in the mothering world. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, but so that's, I think, kind of where everything started because, like, once we came home, I, well, it was also October and my husband works for a farming equipment company. So it was the peak of harvest. Like, when we went into the hospital, he had two combines break down, farmers were knocking on his door pissed at him and he was basically like you guys gotta figure this shit out yourself like I'll figure it out when I get back so he basically had to go back to work the day that we got back from the hospital the second time because we had to go back in um and it's a drive yeah it's like an hour so I was alone and at home and it's I became very 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 obsessed with how long he ate, how long he slept, how much he ate, how much he slept. Like, I had a tracker on my phone that I did not miss a feed for probably eight months. <laughs> like, I put every single thing in, and even when he started daycare, like, I had him write down when they gave him stuff so I could put it in my app, and it was just kind of, like, the start of the darkness. <laughs> yes. Very, like... But how did that make you feel? feel like why did you feel like you had to do that versus like I know you're saying these behaviors but like obviously Logan went back to work what did you how did you start to feel like emotionally 
Um, I felt... And why did you feel like you had to make that, or write all that stuff down well, and it was do just the like a, and stuff? I think it was just, like, a control thing. It was, like, me being able to visualize that he ate enough and he wasn't going to get jaundice again. Like, even though I know he wasn't going to. But it's, like, I feel like the beginning of it was me, um, feeling like I wasn't enough. And this was my way of va- validating to myself that I was doing all that I could. Okay. But, like, for myself. But it was also very obsessive yes very very obsessive and not great behaviors so if you notice that in a mom ask them how they are (laughs) um so logan went back to work and i was doing that and it felt very lonely even though like you said like everybody would be like let me know if you need help let me know if you need this let me know if you want this like everybody wants to see the new baby you know that's just how Sometimes it is. Sometimes that you don't want people, And though. I couldn't. Yeah. Like, I did not want anybody to come over because I felt so anxious of me getting off schedule of his eating and sleeping. Yes. Which is just such a bad thing to even, like, say out loud right now. But, like... I don't think it's bad, though, because, like I said, the whole point of this podcast is, like, people can relate to it. Like, I would not be like, oh, you have OCD, Sophie. But it's just like you said, it's the control thing where it's, like... If that's the only part of your life where you can be in control at that time, then you, that's what you do to yeah. feel better. That, that it's just a coping mechanism and it's just a survival skill. It's nothing that anybody should take personally, but I feel like I, I can completely understand what you're saying when you say that because you yeah. had no control. Yeah. So that's like, I guess, kind of how everything evolved into what it was because I would be home alone and I didn't want anybody to come over because I didn't want them to screw up my schedule, but I felt very lonely at the same time, if that makes sense. Yes. Like I wanted help, but I didn't want help. And like really the only people that made me feel comfortable was my mom. Yeah. Because it's your mom. Yeah. And because I didn't care if I could whip out my tit in front of her. Yes. And it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. So... Um, that went on for a few weeks and then I remember going in for, or I I guess I'll backtrack a little bit. I remember going for a walk one day and I don't know if I've told you this, but well, okay. I'll backtrack a little bit before that. Every single night, like basically since the day I had Soren until, you know, I'm going to probably interrupt you, but I want you to say it, yeah. and then I want to say something right after, because I know exactly what you're yeah. going to say. Every single night, like, basically, as the sun would go down, I would sob uncontrollably. And, you know, like, there's baby blues. There is. Like, every yes. single person, I feel like, goes through that um, hormonal shift, but it didn't seem to end. And I feel like when the only reason I want to interrupt you about this is because I want to normalize that experience for you because obviously I've dealt with it. I've seen, I've seen so many people deal with it. It typically happens. I'm assuming it's a hormone thing. Um, yeah, I'll explain why it happens, but right now I'm crying. So you can yeah, talk. So, uh, you cry, <laughs> you cry and I'll talk because I want to normalize the experience for you because it's so traumatic. Like obviously you're still traumatized from it. But it's very common, regardless of if it's postpartum depression, if it's regular depression, if it's anxiety, it's so common that once the sun goes down and, or like once it starts to get nighttime and you get like slightly Mm -hmm. tired, you feel so much worse at night. Like when you wake up, like I feel like you're more maybe motivated. You feel a little bit better. Like I would feel fine at like five in the morning. Yes. Like my kid would fucking wake me up at four or five in the morning and I'd be fine. 
But it would be like 5 p.m. It was yes. like dread. Dread. Like you're scared for nighttime. Yeah, like but I it always wasn't even that. You, you know, yes. it wasn't even like nighttime was that bad. Like Soren was never a terrible night sleeper. No, it was, it's emotional. It's just though. emotional. It was like dread of the night. Like not even the night sleep. It was like the darkness. Yes. Kind of a thing. It was just dread. So that started pretty much right away, which is very common. Um, and I'll tell you why it happens because I am obsessed with birth (laughs) and it's because, um, at least from my understanding, when you have a baby and you have a placenta because your baby is connected to a placenta, um, when your placenta comes out, essentially your body has this huge level of progesterone that keeps you pregnant. Progesterone is like the, um, hormone that keeps you pregnant kind of a thing so that's why you hear like some people need progesterone shots to like have pregnancy stick progesterone as soon as that placenta leaves your body tanks it drops like from like the highest it'll ever be to like zero not zero but you know it just like yes and if you see like you'll see charts of it like you could look it up it's literally like up here and it just drops straight off so that huge hormonal drop is what they call like the two-week baby blues kind of a thing. So that's why it happens. And that's why it's so normal to just, like, cry over everything when you're, like, a a new mom and all that kind of stuff. Um, But when it persists after that, not so normal. (laughs) So, yeah, like I said, like, every single night I would dread what um, was going to happen, even though nothing happened and like Logan is a great father and a great partner but like he's a man and he just like doesn't understand emotional anything every time we like talk about it and there's something somebody does that's stupid me and Sophie are always like it's they're just a boy like they're just a boy they're just not as emotionally attached or emotionally connected I feel like as women are and I just think that's like our natural instinct as women to be more emotionally connected and aware of things and I feel like also the nighttime thing just reverting back to that again is like I think it's because we get more tired and then you have you start overthinking during the Mm -hmm. day of like you're so scared of the night Mm -hmm. like not scared but that's typically when it is just very like commonly google it people feel their worst in the night yeah so like a few weeks after that happened I remember one day I was going for a walk and you know my normal route. It's 1.26 miles. You wouldn't know that. <laughs> around the block. And I... Around the block. 1.26 miles is not around the block. Well, there's so like this... a walker. I am not a walker. There's like this field in the middle of Wapaton, and it's a, a square. So if you walk all the way around it, it's 1.26 miles. But, um... We're not that redneck. <laughs> I sobbed the entire walk, like all the way around it. Just with my sunglasses on, was sobbing. My kid is in the bassinet. He's happy. Why am I sobbing? Because it's 5 p.m. Yes. (laughs) And I get back home, and Logan had just gotten home, and I was just sobbing. And he's like, what's wrong? And I looked at him, and I'll probably cry saying this, and I looked at him, and I said, I don't know what's going to happen if I don't do something about this. I said, I don't know if I'm going to live. Because you feel like you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like when you're in those moments, that's where I feel like I've never been in that place until this past year. You've probably never been in that place until that part of your life. But, like, you feel like it's, 
again, with the whole suicide thing, like, I get it. Some people want to die. It's probably different for everybody. But you you feel like you're going to fucking die. Like, yeah, that's I like, felt like I was dying, but I didn't want to. Yes. Mm-hmm. But you feel like you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And it's the most lonely and isolating place you can be. And you feel like it's the only thing that will happen. It's mm-hmm. like, it's not like your only choice, but yes, in a sense, like, that's how it is. Yeah. And it was like, it was weird for me because I'd had anxiety before. But this was like anxiety slash depression, but mostly intense anxiety. Yes. Making me depressed. feel depressed. Yes. Yes. So it was like both, but it was just weird. And so... Very common though. Yeah. And I mean, so I did get on Zoloft, but that'll be a whole different thing. And it's not like when you do that, it just switches, you know, yes. either. So like a couple probably like a week after I said that to Logan or whatever he was like you really need to go in and I did have an appointment I think like the end of that week or something with um a midwife because the nice thing about Essentia or where I hospitalized at and I can't speak for any other hospitals is they they do like the six-week checkup like every other hospital does but they also did like I can't even remember how many weeks it was after birth but it was just like a they called it just like a checkup, but I assume it's for mental health. They don't call it that. For the mom. For the mom. Okay. They don't call it that, but that's my assumption of what it is because that's essentially the first question she asked me when I came in. And I basically told her the same thing that I just like was afraid that I was going to like hurt myself or my child or I wasn't going to live through it and he was going to be alone and... I cried to her, and then she gave me Zoloft, and things got a lot brighter from then. <laughs> Not that we're, like, sponsors of Zoloft, but yeah. it's so hard because I feel like you feel like you're going crazy. Yeah. And I had a different experience, and we're not going to talk about my experience because this is about you, but because I I was so aware of how fucked up I was in the head. <laughs> I was very prepared. So I got on meds like immediately after because mm-hmm. I was so scared to go through that because you hear about moms hurting themselves, hurting the baby, you know, doing all manic, these, manic doing mm-hmm. these crazy things. And it's like, so it's in my opinion, so unfair. Mm-hmm. And like, I just get angry about it because it's like this mom already carried a child for nine months. There's so much pressure. Like you said, you already feel like a failure, even though you've done nothing wrong, Mm -hmm. you already feel like a failure. And then you have to juggle all of these hormones. And now your husband's in the busiest time for work. And like, also he's a boy, so he doesn't get it. (laughs) And like next kid, I'm making him stay home for at least two weeks. And it's like, you want to isolate, like you don't want to see people. And like, when I obviously when I was going through all my stuff like I you're probably the only person I saw like yeah. I didn't want to see you don't want to see yeah, anybody I didn't, I didn't want to see anybody besides my mom yes like I literally it made me so anxious to have anybody want to come over just because of my control freak feelings and like you smell I didn't like the way I looked I didn't like the way I felt like everything just felt because you're so, so insecure it felt so foreign to me that yes. I didn't want anybody to see me and like I feel like you didn't even come to see me for like a month Mm-hmm. And I just like didn't want anybody to come over, and it was weird because I remember Mallory being like, "I'll just come stay with you that weekend, and I'll help you with the baby." And like looking at it now, like it's a good idea because like she could help and blah 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 blah. But I was like, "No, don't come here." Like yes. I straight up was like, "I just can't have somebody there." And like 
I just couldn't take any help, but yet I felt so alone at the like same time. Like you needed it, but you couldn't. And I told that's it's not just with postpartum. I just mm-hmm. feel like it's um, magnified with postpartum. Mm-hmm. But I feel like with everybody who goes through some sort of mental health hardship or struggle, it's a very common theme to not want to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And like breastfeeding was probably another factor, but stubborn me similar to my birth I had it in my head that things were just going to be a certain way and I'm very 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 proud of myself for doing it and for sticking it out and not quitting but it can be a very very dark place those first few weeks for breastfeeding moms um painful painful hard um you don't know how much your baby's eating which is a mental game if you're nursing and also there's so much opinion from everybody mm-hmm. else that makes it so hard to feel like you're doing the right thing ever, ever. <laughs> and like I said in the beginning to you, it's like everybody, and this is very much so in the health and wellness industry as well. Because something works for somebody, they doesn't think mean it, it works for everybody no, else. No, but they think yeah. it does. Yeah. So they're going to give you an opinion. Oh, I did keto, so you should do keto. And you're going to have the exact same weight loss yeah. that I did. It's the same with breastfeeding. Oh, I did this when I breastfed, so you should do this, and it will work out magically for you. And then if you don't do it, you're kind of shamed in a sense. And it's right. like so frustrating. And I also didn't think about that, but because I never breastfed because I was a little bitch and I You are not a little bitch. Well, it's fine. You can, but I had a I had a fucked up birth. So that's where I was like You can make whatever choice yes, you want to make. It doesn't but, have to be one way or the other. Yes. But I really did choose not to selfishly, but not selfishly, because mm-hmm. I wanted my body back. Like And I I, just, I understand that. I'm because like, I can get into that after we get yes. over all this stuff. And I was like, I don't want to breastfeed. But um I just kind of recently figured out, like in my head, I think like I have these weird late night thoughts. Like I sometimes tell you about the weird late night thoughts of me wanting to be a singer or whatever. Yeah, I, I just thought, what the fuck goes through your head? <laughs> but um, I was thinking about, I'm like, you would never know. How do you know how many ounces your child eats? Mm-hmm. Well, so it's it's not necessarily how much they eat now. And now going through like lactation counselor training, which this is the whole reason why I started doing it was to help people like me who um, don't, like, okay, we live in Wapton, North Dakota. There's not a single person like that here. You know what I mean? No resources. Like, there's no resources for any sort of postpartum maternal health. And those first couple weeks are the most critical days in a breastfeeding journey because they're the, they're the days that people quit the most because it's so hard right away. And I always, it's kind of like in your podcast, if anybody listened to that one before this one or whenever it's going to be posted, you just have to take it day by day. And that's what I, um, you know, tell people now, like friends and stuff that go through it is like, just see how you feel tomorrow. Take it day by day. Try it one more day. And if you don't want to do it tomorrow, you can quit, you know, because... It is so hard. So like you said, you don't know how much your kid's getting. It has a lot more to do with like how much they're peeing, pooping, what they're, oh, what yes, they're, the um, output, the output. <laughs> they're peeing and pooping and what their, um, um, behaviors are like. Cause like babies that are starved obviously are not happy and babies that are fed yes. are obviously, you yes. know, so that's a lot more of what it has to do with. But as a new mom 
who's only had people tell you you're not feeding your kid enough and that's why they have jaundice because if anybody knows anything about jaundice it happens because you they don't eat and they don't poop enough because that's how bilirubin is excreted blah 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 blah. so as somebody who's been basically told you know their entire breastfeeding journey which was only a couple weeks at this time that they weren't feeding their kid enough it causes you to feel like you're not doing enough and like whatever does that make sense the whole failure failure it felt like like I was failing at anything and I remember one night texting my friend and just being like I don't think I can do this anymore and she just said just see how you feel tomorrow and if she wouldn't have said that I think I would have went to Walmart that night and gotten formula and yes. <laughs> yes. because I was like, oh, how do I do it one more day? And then the next day it was just do it one more day. And then eventually things do become more second nature and Zoloft does kick in <laughs> 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 and it's not, things don't feel as big anymore. And um, then you're just faced with other struggles yes. afterwards. It's so fun. <laughs> once, once one struggle goes away, a new one begins. Yes. So Sophie's front row to all of mine. <laughs> throughout that whole process, though, as I was going through all that, I also had to work because I'm self-employed. And like I said, I could create a whole other podcast on how fucking awful the United States is with their maternal care um but I did have to I mean all those people shot those weddings for me but I still had to edit them deliver them do all the emails do all the backhand work which is very difficult on top of trying to keep a newborn alive all the time and then be in the mental state you're in and then feel like you're dying all at the same time so there's that I could just give a big fuck you to the United States most I of the time. I would say, I know our our passions are different when it comes to um, what we have experienced. But, because I think that you get passionate about things that you've experienced with trauma, right? So, mm-hmm. like, you had a very traumatic postpartum. Um, my whole brain is very traumatic. <laughs> so, I just think that, like, I also agree, and I will take it a step further and say that I feel like the mental care in our country is really fucked up and um, as well as the postpartum care of mothers. Mm-hmm. And then if your mom was here to even get even further into it, because I know we could talk about this forever, is like how fucked up the system is for helping moms and individuals yeah. and all of that. It's just, there's, it's so, it all is kind of has a separate entity, but at the same time it all can come together and like, I always say this, I've told you this before too, but I wish there was like some sort of facility that you could just go to that wasn't like fucking bright ass lights and like doctor visits. It's like somewhere calming. Like if you're a new mom and you're like, I feel like I'm going to die. Where can you go? That's what I want. I want to make that someday. I want to have there be like a hub for mothers that can come and they can get lactation help or or, um, therapy or mental help or just... Take a, a fucking break. Take a fucking nap. A nap pop. You know, yes. like have like people there to take care of their babies while they sleep. Just like anything like that. Because the United States just doesn't put mothers first when it comes to that. But they expect us to work as if we don't have children. Yes. At the same time, we are like one of the highest mortality, like maternal, morta- mor- maternal mortality rate rated countries for being a first world country 
And like, how just screwed up is that? And I, this is not even has to do with mental health at this point, but just my belief that if there was federally paid maternal postpartum care for every single mother or, you know, even adoptive mothers, you know, that yes. adopt babies, if there was care for them, I feel like it would just change everything as far as like kids in school having mental issues shootings drug and alcohol abuse like I just feel like it starts from the beginning like there's a daycare crisis there's a mental health crisis there's all these crises that happen and in my personal belief it stems from that because mothers aren't taken care of they're overworked um they can't take care of their kids. They're, and they're incredibly, as, as as a whole, undervalued. Yes, they're undervalued, overworked, and the people who suffer are the kids. And that's not fair for them because they should grow up happy, which if they grow up happy and successful and more privileged, then they become happier and more successful people in the future. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's all intertwined, and it has to start at the beginning. And that's just something I wish every person, including Joe Biden, could hear. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think it's something that I think is so interesting that I've talked to you about um, because you started at the beginning. This probably is kind of a a bit off topic. This is a tangent. This is a bit of a tangent, but however it needs to be heard is that um, even at the hospital when delivering, I was telling somebody that I thought like the reason like if I were to ever have a doula per se, or like the reason I think Sophie is so important and her work is not only taking care of the mothers, but advocating for them as well, because the system is so fucked up that like Mm -hmm. things that are considered normal are um, not normal. Mm -hmm. And we get pushed on because like I was what, 21 when I had my child, I had no fucking idea. Like I did everything they told me to do. And looking back, I had the worst experience because I did everything they told me to do. Like I had no idea. The, but, they just what do what do we call it the, the like common Western medicine birth. Yes, <laughs> and it's like it's sick. It's sick. It's not healthy for the mom. It's not healthy for the baby. And then, like you said, you're like, okay, go play, go play house now. Like you yeah. know how to do it all. You and, just get thrown home, and yeah, those first those first few days and weeks are the most critical for mom and baby and breastfeeding and those are the weeks where there's nobody around for the mom and all they want to do is hold the baby but yes it's a tangent it's kind of funny because I actually get it's not that I don't like babies it's not that I don't like them okay I want to say that out loud right now but even like when I would go see Mary she'd be like why don't you ever want to hold the baby and I'm like I'll just hang out with you (laughs) like (laughs) I don't have like a super maternal instinct like I love I obviously love my child they hold her and you have lots of nieces and nephews yes and like I love kids blah 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 but like I don't know why I'm so much more like that's what I've thought about like when I think about a lot of things I think about like the person who's neglected the most so just say like I mean, if Logan had an illness, whatever, I would think of you and not him. And that's not to say like, he's not important, but I would think of like the struggles of you having to take care of him and be that caretaker and be neglected. So like, that's the type of people I think about. And I think it's because I have a lot of trauma from shit and you do too. 
Um, okay, I want to sort of wrap this up a little bit because I know that we tend to go on tangents. I want you to talk about anything else that you've experienced with postpartum. And then I want to talk about like the identity a little bit and how you've decided to transition out of weddings. Um, because I feel like that's really important, even though you might not think it's as important, but you've made a that very, very big life change. Mm-hmm. And so like... If anybody is even self-employed or has heard about this, obviously, if you've listened to my episode of the yoga studio, like all that good stuff, like I want you to kind of talk about like your point and the identity and all of that. Cause I know that was probably like a really big thing for you after Soren as well. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Tangent. I'm going to go first on, I guess I want to talk a little bit about like postpartum, um, body image. Yes. A little bit. And then I'll wrap it up with that the wedding thing okay. so remind me of that in case I forget I'm not gonna let you forget <laughs> <laughs> so after I had um started medication things got significantly better um mentally I felt really good um after whatever it was six eight ten weeks whatever you, it's supposed to be that you wait before you work out like like I said before this I was very active never stopped moving I Never, worked, ever, ever. Ever stopped. <laughs> like, I worked out two hours a day pretty much every single day. So I was for fun. For fun. So I was so excited to like get back in the gym and just like I wanted to be a weapon again. <laughs> That's what I always said. I just want to be a weapon. I want to be strong. And I think I got a gym membership in January. And so I had my son in October. Um, I got a gym membership in January, which was the worst. Well, I got a new one because I, I did quit my gym membership while I was pregnant because I was having a lot of sciatic issues and it, I was not going to pay $45 for that, um, for when I wasn't using it. So I got a new one in January, which is the worst time of year to do it because everybody else is going to, <laughs> um, yes. but anyway, so I just had this like naive thought that I would just go back to what I was, you know, like just if I did what I did before, I would just go back to what I was. Well, I am now 19 months postpartum and I just lost my first 10 pounds. (laughs) Like literally I worked out for 19 months minus eight weeks, whatever that is, and felt very little change. And also when you're breastfeeding, you eat so goddamn much. So mentally... The last year, I felt better as far as anxiety and depression goes, but body image-wise, it was really hard. Um, I have a lot of friends who are daughters of Jane Johnson. (laughs) 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 To throw us under the bus. (laughs) And get the Jane hereditary genes. No, I'm just kidding. It's just my genetics, and it's really hard to accept um, when you have other people who it just seems like it comes so easy to. And then I felt basically up until the last month, I did not feel like myself, um, for a year, just because, you know, for a year I breastfed and that in itself feels like you are just somebody else's for such a long time. And then when I quit that, I thought (laughs) again in my head, it was like, I'm going to be a weapon now that I'm done breastfeeding. It was like the next thing. There was just like little hopes along the way and like nothing really changed. Um, But I did see this quote one time that said that it basically takes a mother two years 
to come into her what they call matrescence, which is like your identity of being a mother but yourself kind of a thing. And when I saw that, I was really like, that seems correct. <laughs> and I think um, as far as your internal organs, isn't that what they say too in order for them to like yeah. actually kind of bounce, I don't want to say bounce back, but like go back to where they're at prior yeah. to pregnancy. It is two years, isn't it? takes it? like at least two years. So, I mean, for some people who are lucky, like breastfeeding does make them lose weight, which I guess wouldn't even say they're lucky because sometimes it can cause like malnour- malnourished mint or whatever, but I will also say they're lucky because it, it does suck yes. to like work your butt off so hard and while you're already strung so thin from like being a mom and working and breastfeeding and pumping and doing all the things on top of that like working out was the last thing I wanted to do even though it was something I loved doing so and I feel like because you also had I'm such a firm believer in like your body reflects like your mental health in one state or another and because you had such a traumatizing experience breastfeeding was very hard for you you felt like a failure like it's like your body holds that in some sort of sense and so then when you start to feel a little bit better breastfeeding goes better and then all of a sudden you're on Zoloft and then you're done breastfeeding and then that's when you start to see changes as well because like you said you're you're somebody else's person forever and that stress is like held in your body and Mm -hmm. so even though like yes yes I did receive my mother's (laughs) and I'm very grateful for it um I had a really fucked up like I didn't get postpartum right away I got it like well Mary might beg to differ because she Mm -hmm. came over quite quite soon after I had the baby and I quite literally lost my fucking marbles but but it um, does happen for somebody where they get postpartum depression later yes like because I had bone in the summer in June and so I didn't feel it until and I didn't even really gain a lot of weight until September and then I felt so foreign in my body and I didn't even breastfeed so I can't imagine like I would never have breastfed I if I have another baby, even even if you have one now, like and I'm a very 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 big breastfeeding advocate. I I think it's so good for mom. It's so good for baby. Like if you can do it, you can do it. You're one person I would advocate <laughs> not to do it. <laughs> I'm not maternal. I'm, well, it's just it's. I feel like it would just be much too overwhelming for you. Yes, like it, it's just not my jive. But like everybody experiences it so differently, and so like. I just, again, and it was a reflection of where I was at and like my mental health and my journey. And it's, and you were giving so much of yourself that your body just like could held on to everything and needed to because it's survival. And I feel like people feel like such failures. And it's so sad to see because in my mind, like I think the fact that you would even work out after you did all of that and after you fucking breastfed and how I think breastfeeding is like so hard and like I probably would have told you to quit. <laughs> I probably did tell you to quit. You, I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah, I was like, just fucking stop, dude. <laughs> like, and it's like, it, that is like, like I feel like in our society, strength is considered like being super strong and fit and going to the gym and like how I view it is so different because I'm like, you still, you, you weren't seeing results, but you still went to the gym. And, like, breastfeeding was a struggle and you still did it. And, like, you still committed to all these things without seeing results for a year. Like, over... 19 months. 19 months. And that's a <laughs> long fucking time where people, a lot of the times, go to the gym and if they don't see results in six weeks, they're off. You know what I mean? So, I'm yeah. like, 
the mental, even though it was so hard on you and it was so awful, I feel like the mental strength you gained from it is, and that's what I always try to remind myself too, is like the battles you endure and the trauma that you experience, you build up so much resilience and like mental strength. And then now look, you get to help others, which is like the best part, like, because you went through that. Obviously we don't want to ruin the hobby. (laughs) It's not going to be a full-time job. But you get to be there for people in a way that you never have been able to before because yeah. you went through it. Even just like friends texting me and asking for advice and help and like Claire and stuff like that. Like I just feel good like even being able to be a person for them. Yes. Even if I'm not making money off of it, like I don't care. Because yeah. I just want to be that person that if that person is going through a dark time, I can help. So there's that. I'll go through the work thing and then we'll be done because I feel like this has already been long. <laughs> it's okay. People love to listen to us talk and it's like the only two episodes we'll probably talk on for a while. But I also do want to say too, like I think people are drawn. And I'm not just saying to you specifically. I feel like we have people because of our career fields and they're just a little bit fucked up. Like we draw certain people towards us. And so like I do firmly believe because I've seen it myself and I do see it in you like you draw people into your life that you're able to help. And I just think it's so great. I think that it sucks what we went through. Um, it's still going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> and if I have another one, honestly, like, I've told you this, like, I do want to have another baby, but I'm very fearful for yes. that period of my life to happen again, mm-hmm. which sucks because the United States could make it a lot better. Yes. But, um, um so yeah the work thing we'll go into that and then we can wrap it up so I'm not talking forever because like before this I was like I'm probably not even gonna talk that much I know you're like I'm gonna be home at 3 30 it's 3 47 yeah. I'm yeah. like oh don't I'm like I that. do need to wrap this up because Logan's making food now I guess um but I do want to say um the reason I think this is so important before you talk about it is because obviously I went through it so naturally I think it's important um, but also because I feel like we're at such an odd time for careers because there's things that are done online. There's things that are done. Like, it's not like a normal nine to five job you get to choose mm-hmm. anymore. And I feel like a lot of people struggle with like their purpose and passion and like making the wrong choice. So I want you to talk about your choice and why you made it and why you feel confident in it, even though I know you're still scared. I'm not confident. <laughs> um, I feel like, I feel like you're confident. If I were I, to, no, I am. I feel like you're confident, but you're scared. And that's, that's how it always is. When I close the studio. Confident and scared. I, I knew it was right. Mantra. Yeah. Like I knew it was right, but I also hated it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Brave and afraid. Yeah, I Remember just found that? that sweatshirt the other day. Brave actually. and afraid. The only thing I don't like about it is the head is just so hard to get through. So I think I gotta cut it. Anyway, um, so I like I said at the beginning, I am pulling back on doing weddings. And after I had Soren, it really I mean, like I said before, I knew I never wanted to do them forever, but after having him, it really just brought everything into perspective. And like I said, he is 19 months old and it took, so it took me 19 months to make this decision because I knew I didn't want to do them anymore, but. And you've probably known for a very long time. Yeah. I've known for a, well, not like I don't want to do them anymore, but not full time. And the money aspect of doing them is what I think took me such a long time to break from it because for me doing weddings is what I know I went to school for agriculture and never did it like I graduated with an ag degree 
And then I just started doing wedding photography after graduation because people were hiring me. So it was all I knew. And... And it's financial security. It's financial security, and it's very valid to feel that way. Like, even... Like, not everything in life is passionate, you know? Right. Like, sometimes you just do a job because you have to put food on the table kind of a thing. And that's kind of what I've been doing the last 19 months is just surviving while doing them. Which, if you're a couple of mine and you're listening... I will say the last 19 months, I have had great couples and you have all been great. So don't. Yes. I always feel like you have to just be like, <laughs> yeah. it's not about you. Cause no, it's it not. It's not. It's about the it's job. It's not. It's like, it's, it's not about my couples. They're great. They really are. And, um, so I don't want any of them to like listen and feel bad for me saying that or saying anything. Or even if there's ones that I have this coming year, like I will still be there. I will still be present. Like, I'm real good at, at doing that. I've been doing it yes. for seven years. I'll continue to do it for the rest of the year. Like, don't worry. But there just came a point, and this was more of even, like, a recent thing, um, where I just, I couldn't mentally do them anymore. Like, I wanted to be more present for my child. I wanted to be happier. Um, and I talked to Logan a lot about it, and he was like, you have to just put yourself first before you can take care of others because if you're unhappy you aren't gonna be serving he's like you're gonna ruin my life (laughs) (laughs) he's like you're not gonna you're not gonna be serving your clients and you're not gonna be serving your family if you're unhappy so and like I've said Logan is a boy he's a man he doesn't have as emotional connection as a I feel like a woman does So it was really hard for me, I think, making that decision because he doesn't give me a lot to work with. (laughs) Like, he doesn't talk a whole lot. And I just needed him to say that and to, like, reassure me that it was okay and that that was the right decision to make because I felt like I wasn't able to pursue other avenues of my life and other things I wanted to do because I had to do all these weddings that I was working. Like there was no time for me Mm -hmm. to change directions because I was already tied up doing everything else. So for my mental state and my happiness and hopefully um, a different path that leads me to other great things and more great clients and people that I meet, that is why I made that decision and... And it is not an easy decision. I hope no. everybody knows. Like like you said, you've been doing it for seven years. I only had the studio for like three to four and it breaks your heart. It's a part of you. It is. It, it is a part of me and I've enjoyed it 98% of the time. Yes. There is a few people that suck. But for the most part, like I had really, really good clients and it makes me feel so happy when they like post their pictures or they love their photos or like they it's years later and they're like these are still my favorite pictures I've ever had taken before and like that makes me so happy because when I think about like the grand scheme of things it's like these are the photos that you're gonna find like in a box in the basement of your grandparents house in a hundred years from now and like that I think is really cool um so it's it's a very important job right in my mind but I think there's something and you had told me this um because I was obviously really, really struggling in closing the studio. And you had said, like, there's beauty in knowing, like, when it's done. Yeah, there is. And it's, like, another thing that I've talked to people who have asked me about it is, like, it's not fair. And it's same for you 
when you had to close a studio, it's not fair to do something just because people want you to do it. Yes, because your heart's not in it anymore. Because then you're not giving them Mm -hmm. the best experience that you can. Like, that's where my mind goes, where I want to be excited to go work for these people, and I want to give them the best possible experience, and I don't want to have people spend thousands of dollars on photos that they hate because I wasn't mentally there to do it for them. Yes. So it's just not fair to anybody else. And so that's why, like, I did pull back from doing as many weddings after I had Soren because I was doing, like, 30-plus, and I went down to, like, 20, which was great, but it just wasn't enough. Yes. So. And I also think that, like, I'm really into the quality of my work. You're really into the quality of your work. And so that's the reason yeah. we chose to. Because we both could still be doing our jobs yeah. and do a shitty job. But yeah. we want to be... Like, obviously, you're not excited to go to work every day. But you want to do... Do a good job. You want to be fair. Like, you paid me to do this. I need to do a really good job and be present. And when you know that's over, you have to be done. Yep. There's people out there that are photographers that I... You know, they just do as many as they can and they whether or not they do a good job they don't really care I know a lot of massage therapists and it's like like, I don't want to be like that like my clients I want to give them 110% all the time Mm -hmm. and they deserve like the best possible um, experience so that's where I decided to just really dial back take a few a year focus on other avenues of my work that really inspire me and motivate me and make me feel fulfilled um and you're evolving and I'm evolving and changing and I'm excited scared but excited (laughs) for the next year um we saw these shirts and I just want to say it really quick before we wrap this up it was actually through Mick What's her last name? McZazon. Zazon. Yeah, she had these shirts and they said brave and afraid. And I like carry that with me to my heart always because I feel like every decision I make it, I've made lots of drastic decisions lately and I will continue to have lots of changes in my life. And I think that it's like, I just hold it close to my heart because there's some, some things that you're so afraid to do, but unless you make the change, you're going to be stagnant and it's, you know, like it's hard, but you can be brave and still be scared. Yeah. And I think that's a great place to leave it. So thank you so much for sharing your story. And I just really hope, again, I'm going to say this probably at the end of each podcast, but that regardless of what is shared, um, you create a safe space for it and that you can resonate maybe somewhat to some story and it'll help you feel less alone. Because that's the whole part of the podcast is to just feel less alone. To overcome. To overcome. Wow, that was my drop. Okay, bye. To overcome. The storm emerged without any warning, without any sign. She never saw coming a whirlwind of darkness uprooting her present and cascading shadows over her future. A true collision of disruption and despair. She finds herself consumed by chaos, her faith unraveling as it disappears into the cries of the sky. And in the midst of heartache, she decides that she can either dwell in her disasters or she can learn to weather them. She can let the storm break her or she can let it build her. It's in this moment of clarity that she begins to fight her way out of the darkness. It's in this moment of grace that she stops running from her storm and she starts following her rainbow. 
and despite the aches of her journey, she is led to a place only she can find. A place of courage, a place of beauty, a place of becoming. That is what it means to overcome. This is what it means to survive. And although the storm brought her destruction, it also brought her strength. She learned that she is more powerful than she ever imagined and that anything that arrives to break her, the darkness will never stop her from finding her light. 